Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBreed podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines in financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBree, and I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zuruk. Welcome everyone to our latest episode of FX Talk, and unfortunately there's only one thing to discuss today, and that is of course Russia's invasion of Ukraine and its implications for financial markets. Investors were caught wrong-footed by the news of, of the full-scale invasion last Thursday, despite a host of warnings with markets holding on to optimism that a peaceful solution could be found that would avoid conflict. As one would expect, the initial reaction among markets was one of risk-off, whereby investors fled high-risk assets at the expense of the safe havens. But that meant a sharp move lower in global equity indices, particularly those in Europe. In FX, almost all emerging market currencies sold off, most rather sharply, although there were some exceptions, notably those in Asia, including CMY. Uh, the route has been led by the Russian ruble, which collapsed to a fresh record low on Monday and was down almost 30% at one stage in response to the strict sanctions that were imposed over the weekend, which we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. Uh, losses among the rest of the EM universe have been led by those currencies in Central and Eastern Europe, uh, notably likes of the Polish Zossi, which was trading at its lowest level since 2009 on the euro earlier today, at the Hungarian foreign, which has fallen to fresh record lows, and the Czech krona. Uh, European currencies in general have underperformed given their proximity to the conflict and close economic ties uh, with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, that includes the euro that has fallen below the 112 level on the dollar. Sterling also briefly fell below 133 on the dollar, although it's since recovered some of its losses. Uh, the safe havens, meanwhile, have rallied rather sharply in some instances, led by the US dollar. Uh, now, before we get on to the crisis and, and the Russian sanctions and what that might mean for the global economy, uh, what do you both think of, of the market reaction so far? Okay, um, the first thing I would like to stress is how well markets have held up uh, in, in most cases, particularly currency markets. Uh, liquidity has been uh, sufficient. Uh, the moves in most currencies outside of obviously the, the ruble have been sharp, but, uh, but uh, nothing like the volatility, for instance, that we saw at the beginning of the COVID crisis and definitely nothing like we saw in the great financial crisis of 2007, 2008. So the moves have been relatively contained um, and liquidity has been there for the most part in most of the, the key markets. Uh, I think it's a sign that uh, everybody expects the, cent the major central banks of the world, the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, to step in and provide liquidity and, and assistance uh, to keep markets functioning uh, if ever arises the need, which means that often, as long as people expect that to happen, the actual intervention is not necessary. Yeah, so the market reaction in this context, I think, was uh, quite expected, considering that the markets haven't really been preparing much for such an event. It wasn't uh, certainly their base case scenario. So uh, naturally, we saw a heightened volatility and a flight to safety. 
Uh, however, the even the Central European currencies that I'm watching have held up relatively well considering the uh, situation. Uh, we saw uh, certainly a, a large sell-off, and in some cases, the currencies have depreciated to the uh, lowest levels uh, ever. This has been the case, for instance, of the Hungarian forint, and the Polish zloty uh, has uh, depreciated to uh, a psychological level of 480 uh, to the euro at one point today. Uh, that said, uh, they have uh, still uh, held up uh, quite well. In some instances, the currencies haven't reacted much. For instance, the reaction of the Romanian low, uh, which, which is basically stable, uh, is uh, quite impressive, as in uh, certain uh, instances when the market risk uh, has increased in the past. Even this uh, controlled by a central bank currency uh, moved uh, sharply down. Uh, this has not been the case so far uh, with the Russia Ukrainian with the Russia Ukraine war uh, and also if we look at currencies like Czech Corona uh, those have held up relatively well uh, in the overall emerging market spectrum uh, i was a little bit surprised to see a, a some uh, rather significant pressure on a particular car- currencies including those uh, of commodity uh, producing and exporting countries uh, such as Brazilian real, uh, but overall and the EM spectrum, uh, I think shows that the uh, good fundamentals that those currencies have relative to the past and also high interest rates are working uh, so that we don't see a, a significant uh, depreciation of those currencies that might be uh, seen if, uh, if we hadn't had those uh, positive factors. Yes, I would agree with both those points, actually. I think, as you said, Enrique, I think markets have actually held up relatively well for the most part. Actually, if we look at volatility indicators uh, among the major peers, uh, pairs, at least, um, I think they've been largely contained. Uh, and also, uh, yeah, no real surprises in the reaction among financial markets. We've seen a, a classic risk-off mode. You know, equity has fallen, the lower-risk currencies have rallied. Um, I think in FX, if I was to highlight perhaps three uh, trends, um, noteworthy ones. I think the first one would be uh, the dollar has been uh, the sort of chief safe haven currency of choice among investors, um, given the US's isolation from the global economy, much like it was uh, during COVID, uh, at least the initial outbreak of COVID has outperformed uh, the Japanese yen and Swiss franc, and that's not always the case. Uh, I think the second thing I'd highlight is Underperformance of European currencies, as we mentioned, the Central and Eastern European currencies in particular, um, have sold off rather sharply in some instances. Look at a currency like the Hungarian foreign, which is generally a pretty stable currency. I think that's dropped by almost or more than 6% um, since the news of the invasion. Um, and the third thing I would highlight is the resilience we're seeing in those currencies in Asia, um, which for the most part of have held up rather well, and actually some have rallied against the, the safe haven dollar in the past week, um, Chinese yuan being one of those, uh, perhaps a reflection of the, the the limited economic hit that investors expect those those countries to suffer. Um, but, but, but regardless, I think obviously markets remain still rather volatile and the Ukraine headlines will continue to dominate um, action in, in FX for at least a little while yet. Yeah, I like to, I like to add to that that if we, if you look relative to the to the euro, um, most major emerging market currencies have either not sold off at all or actually held 
and rallied a little bit. Um, so we've seen the move that everybody would expect to the U.S. dollar. But because commodities have rallied so sharp, unlike other crises, we've seen very good levels of support in, in, emerging, in a lot of emerging market currencies. Great. Yes, of course. Now we'll move on to, as I mentioned, um, the the economic implications um, of the crisis. And we've seen a swift and a meaningful response um, from the rest of the world in light of these barbaric attacks, particularly in the form of tougher sanctions um, that have been unprecedented um, in many instances. Uh, over the weekend, we saw US, uh, EU, UK, Canada, among other nations, uh, come together with a package of sanctions uh, aimed at crippling Russia's financial system, banking sector, uh, and its wider economy. Um, among the most noteworthy has been those targeted at Russia's central bank. Uh, Western na- nations have announced that they'll be blocking the Bank of Russia from using its massive stockpile of foreign exchange reserves, denominated in US dollars, euros, pound sterling, which makes up around about 55% of the country's total reserves. Uh, and this has contributed to the sharp sell-off that we've witnessed in the ruble so far this week. Uh, we've also seen tough sanctions imposed on Russia's financial system with, with a select number of banks removed from the SWIFT international payment system, uh, SWIFT being a system used by almost all banks that allows uh, cross-border payments and uh, enables international trade. Uh, this has seen, a, a, obviously, a significant curb uh, designed to damage Rus- Russia's ability to export uh, and import goods. Um, not only is it expected to weigh heavily on the Russian economy, but also uh, we could see a, a bit of a global hit um, from that as well. Um, elsewhere, as we mentioned, we've also seen a continued move higher in oil prices, commodities in general. Uh, Brent crude oil has jumped above $100 a barrel, as high as in eight years. Um, and this clearly has uh, inflationary implications, which I'm sure uh, you, you, both you guys will talk about in a minute. Um, but so over to you guys. I'm sure you've all had, you've both had a chance to, to read up on, on all, all of the latest sanctions, or at least most of them, at least. Uh, what kind of impact do you think these may have um, on the global economy? First, first I'd like to, to, uh, to uh, emphasize that the, fa- the, the sanctions are absolutely brutal. Uh, the uh, freezing of de facto, all the G10 based reserves um, will have the, will, has the impact of freezing over two thirds of Russian accumulated reserves. Uh, the sanctioning and decision of all transactions with the uh, Russian Central Bank makes it difficult to see how they can even spend any uh, any reserves that they do get their hands on, except for the ones that they can possibly use to to pay Chinese bills, because uh, China so far has has not joined the sanctions. Um, and just a, a sense of how how strong they are is that nothing like this was ever even proposed to be imposed on the USSR, even at the at the most tense uh, point of the of the Cold War. Um, I think that there's, there's two entities that are the two areas that that shoots that that stand to suffer from the sanctions. The first one, obviously, is Russia, that basically has been cut off from trade from de facto trade with uh, a lot of the world. And the second one is the, the is Europe, uh, which is very dependent, as we all know, on Russian gas. Uh, for now, Russian gas continues to flow to Germany, but it's not clear to me how much longer Putin will continue to send the gas, given that he's getting paid in, in dollars or euros that he's not allowed to spend. So I think that unless there's changes, 
uh, it's a matter of uh, it, it, pretty quickly we should see a reduction in the flows of uh, gas to 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 uh, Europe unless, as I said, unless the sanctions are are modified in the details to allow Putin to at least spend the money that he gets for the, the Russian gas that goes to Germany. Yeah, actually, I'm not sure if the sanctions also, uh, if the energy sector uh, will not be excluded from the sanctions, and if it's not already, uh, at least in, in some cases, uh, because this would be hard to imagine uh, for, for this to go on uh, in any other way. Uh, when it comes to economic consequences, I think that the obvious one is inflation in the short term. We've seen a sharp increases in uh, prices of commodities, both energy commodities, hard commodities and soft commodities. And the energy commodities, obviously, oil and gas uh, in many European countries, uh, including those in particularly in Central and Eastern Europe. Russia is a, a key uh, supplier of uh, gas and uh, for approximately uh, two, two thirds, uh, I would say in the key CE countries. Uh, also, uh, when we look at uh, other commodities, uh, uh, things such as wet or corn, uh, they are uh, mass produced in uh, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, and we have already had a significant food inflation uh, in the past few years. Um, also, uh, generally, uh, we also see an increase in the commodities that are uh, used uh, in investments. Uh, we see an increase in prices of platinum, of uh, titanium that are produced in, in Russia and Russia and Ukraine. And uh, generally, so uh, the hit to the commodities uh, coupled with a weaker exchange rates will certainly affect inflation in the uh, CE region and in many other uh, countries in the uh, in Europe as a whole uh, as well um, if we look at the eurozone the euro exchange rate is also uh, has depreciated although here the hit is certainly lower so the most important is the increase in prices of commodities. And I'm not sure that uh, this current situation is uh, the status quo and uh, if it's the end, because we might also be in a situation in which uh, Russia retaliates more and uh, this might lead to, or the, the situation in Ukraine, uh, the war in Ukraine uh, goes on for a long period of time. And in such an event, uh, we might reasonably expect that those commodity prices would continue to remain high and continuously uh, lead to an uh, upward push to inflation. And at some point, uh, this higher inflation uh, would negatively affect growth. Right now, it probably is uh, negatively affecting the sentiment. And this is probably one of the, the most important factor uh, in the short term with regards to the uh, economic activity. Uh, however, uh, if this uh, situation was to continue or to become uh, kind of a, a constant, uh, a new order, then I think that the uh, upward pressure on prices would result in a downward pressure on growth in the medium uh, term. Yes, yeah, I agree entirely on inflation. And we'll, we'll talk about the impact of rising inflation or potential rises in inflation on central bank policy shortly. Um, yeah, as far as the economic impact is concerned, um, as we said, for, for me, I think the, the, the biggest impact outside of, of course, Russia and Ukraine themselves would be Europe, in particular uh, Central and Eastern 
uh, Europe, which uh, many of those countries and economies there rely heavily on imports and exports of oil and gas um, from Russia. As far as imports are concerned, for instance, uh, the likes of Hungary, Poland, Czech Republic, uh, all import more than 60% um, of their gas imports from Russia, for instance, which is a bit of a concern. Um, and exports in general, overall exports from those three countries, accounts for more than 2% of GDP. Um, so that's a clear concern. Um, and I, I think those economies could be um, in for a fairly sizable economic hit, at least through the first half of this year, um, which is uh, does not bode particularly well um, for the, the currencies in the region. Uh, as far as the global economy is concerned, um, I, I think the hit will be relatively minor for now. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly hopeful that the, the, the economic global ec- economic ramifications will be um, relatively contained. Um, I, think, I think the biggest risk... Um, it is a possible deterioration in business consumer sentiment, for instance. Um, although, of course, that depends, um, the severity of that depends on the, on the length of the, con- uh, the conflict. Um, I wouldn't expect any meaningful downturns in the likes of the US, UK, for instance, which are both um, pretty self-sufficient economies. But um, as the Eurozone could suffer a bit of an economic blow, um, given the sanctions imposed, which um, will undoubtedly have a bit of collateral damage. Um, but as I said, overall, I'm fairly hopeful that the fallout will be contained, um, although, again, highly dependent on, on the length uh, of, of the conflict um, and the severity of the disruptions um, to, to supply chains and to trade, of course. Uh, we're going to finish now by talking about the possible response from central banks, um, which is particularly important ahead of the, the G3 central bank meetings in mid-March with the Federal Reserve Bank of England and European Central Bank all set to meet within a week of each other. Um, and if there wasn't already a high degree of uncertainty leading up to those meetings, uh, there certainly is now. Um, and perhaps I can start with my thoughts on this one. I think there are probably two main monetary policy consequences uh, from the crisis. First of which we've alluded to is a acute uncertainty uh, and risk to growth in the near term. Um, I think, that, as I said, I think that the global economic repercussions may be relatively minor at this stage, um, but uh, I would certainly expect business and consumer sentiment to take a hit at the very least, and that presents a bit of a downside risk to growth in the immediate term. Um, So I expect a bit of caution among policymakers. Uh, European Central Bank, for instance, probably unlikely to sound too hawkish at this meeting this month, and rate hikes there may have to wait until September, I think. Um, Slightly longer term, however, as we've been saying, I think the crisis has inflationary consequences um, that can't be ignored by central banks. Uh, and if anything, risks are now more skewed to the upside, particularly given the supply chain disruptions and, and rising commodity prices. Um, so that could lead, I think, to a, a bit of a, a hawkish shift medium term. Um, so for me, for instance, the Federal Reserve, I think a, a 25 basis point hike uh, in March is more likely than a 50 basis point one that we had originally anticipated. Um, but beyond that, I think that this this inflation, uh, inflation inflation repercussions could lead to an aggressive pace of hikes, perhaps in the second half of this year. And actually, we could end 2022 with rates not far from where we had believed uh, prior to the crisis. Um, but over to you both. What do you think about the possible central bank repercussions? 
Yeah, I think that's very likely a very likely scenario uh, for both the Fed, the European, all, all three of them, the Fed, the ECB, and the Bank of England. A scenario in which the initial hikes get pushed back a bit. Um, this, of course, is more important in the case of the Bank of England and the Fed that are already in the process or, or about to enter the process of hiking that the ECB. But that whatever delay there is in the in the hiking process will have to be compensated for uh, as soon as the as, uh, as the war comes to an end and, and normality is restored in the markets because uh, inflationary pressures, even before this this massive hit, massive uh, shock, inflationary pressures are already outpacing uh, expectations. Again, this week we're getting the the February European some Europe, European country by country inflation data for February. All of it is coming above expectations. A big surprise in France, less so, but still a surprise in Germany and Spain. And now we have this 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 uh, huge uh, energy uh, and agricultural and metal uh, in, uh, price increase everywhere. Uh, in addition to uh, the supply chain disruption, additional supply chain disruptions because of the of the sanctions, I I think that uh, there may be some rearrangement of the timing of the hikes. But if anything, I would be increasing. The levels at which I would expect uh, central banks to leave rates at the end of this year, and certainly at the end of uh, 2023. Yes, yeah, so I think we are all on the same page, and I think that in such an tense and uncertain environment, uh, the central banks would rather want to be cautious and move cautiously, and that means not surprising the markets. And the markets have uh, priced out a lot of tightening in the past uh, week or so. And compared to the situation uh, we've seen uh, two weeks ago, right now uh, in the US, the market is pricing in only 120 basis points of tightening uh, before the end of the year uh, compared to 160 uh, two weeks ago. So 40 basis points price out In uh, with regards to Bank of England. Uh, we right now have 105 basis points compared to 165 two weeks ago. So 60 basis points price out. In, uh, with regards to the ECB, uh, we have uh, 10 basis points priced in before the end of the year compared to 50 basis points two weeks ago. So it's 40 basis points priced out. So the shifts in the markets has, have been quite significant. And I think that the central banks would prefer not to spook the markets with excessive tightening, at least uh, when it comes to the main central banks. Uh, I'm actually starting to think a little bit more about the ECB and how will they uh, proceed about the end of the uh, asset purchase program because we were uh, expecting that uh, they should make, make an announcement in March about the ending of the asset purchase program. Uh, but right now, uh, although I, I still think that this program should end earlier than initially thought, uh, and this has been, uh, this is right now questioned whether uh, they'll announce it uh, in such an uncertain environment. Uh, also, when it comes to other central banks, uh, there has been an interesting theme in Central and Eastern Europe when the markets uh, initially, after the uh, war started, started pricing in more interest rate hikes. Uh, and uh, right now, the expectations are reversing. Uh, I actually, I think that uh, it, it will depend a lot on the uh, on the country, uh, but uh, all in all, 
I don't think that we are going to see uh, less tightening because of war unless uh, the situation is a very prolonged one and it leads to a elevated uh, levels of uncertainty, uh, which would continuously negatively affect economic growth. Uh, but this is not uh, my base scenario right now. So I think that uh, all in all, uh, the expectations, our expectations that we had prior uh, to war uh, mostly hold. Uh, and uh, in, although in main countries, the tightening may be pushed back a little bit. And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ebreed's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening.